much everything from my childhood led me to where I am today. Hindsight's always 2020, and it's really funny. A lot of the things that you know were challenges in young life led me to the strengths that I currently have. We grew up on a, on a very small income, so my parents also have taught me a ton about work ethic. I mean, if I ever wanted anything, I had to figure out a way to pay for it. Starting when I was about five years old, and I actually started my first business. It was called Yum Yum Yum's Bakery, and when I was five, and I kept doing that business until I was about 12 and I started other businesses during that time. I was always pre-slated as an adult. I now see in retrospect to be a business owner and to, yeah. to do things mostly because I just was not built to sit in an office and work for someone else. From Evergreen Results, this is Built for Impact, a show about mission-minded entrepreneurs, founders and leaders, and the stories behind the impact they're making. I'm Amanda Bosick, and on the show today, how Ann Briggs left a career in tech to start a woodworking and urban farming business, and then recently moved across the country to chase even bigger dreams. You've probably heard the saying, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, what if what you love to do is a ton of work? Anne is a woodworker, blacksmith, farmer, and homesteader. And while she loves all these things, she says it's still a ton of work. Anne didn't grow up quite like most American kids. Her parents were missionaries, and she spent a lot of time traveling the world, from Ukraine to Austria to the Czech Republic, Taiwan, and throughout Asia. And that time was so impactful that she decided to go to university in China and then seminary in Taiwan, all before coming back to settle down with her husband in Seattle, where Anne of All Trades began. Anne Briggs, actually Anne of All Trades, a farmer, blacksmith, woodworker, homesteader, all the things, began this journey over a decade ago, and she's now full-time farmer maker that preserves tradition and helps build community. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today, Anne, and learn more about your story and your journey. Well, thanks so much for having me. I think I read somewhere that you grew up in Montana, and then you were in China, Taiwan, Seattle, now Nashville. I don't know if I got all of them and all of them in order, but can you share a little bit about how you grew up, and what your experience has been that maybe led up to your farm, your urban farm in Seattle. Totally. So my parents were, are full-time missionaries. They have been my entire life. They helped found one of the youth of the mission campuses in like 40 years ago. And they've been really familiar with that. That is amazing. Oh, are you? That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really great organization. And the campus that they helped found was actually one of the few campuses where everyone lives together, like a university campus. So we lived on campus most of my life. So it was really awesome to grow up in a a super close-knit community that way with other people that were all pursuing the same thing or well I mean not necessarily the same thing right but pursuing all together it was really fun to grow up even in that kind of really safe neighborhood because we like deeply knew everyone that we were coming into contact with we could get released in the morning and not come back till night and no one worry about it so that was really fun but as part of that we got to travel the world for most of our young lives. We spent a lot of time in Ukraine, Austria, Czech Republic, Asia, 
And that kind of led me to, when I was 13 years old, I went on a uh, mission trip to Taiwan. And it was that basically just changed the course of my young life forever. I, I really got interested in Asian culture. I decided I wanted to start learning Chinese. So when it came time to go to university, I went to Peking University for part of that, um, learned how to speak fluent Chinese. And then after I graduated from university, I went to um, Taiwan for a seminary program that was bilingual. And my Chinese got a lot better during that time as well. And after I finished that, I had been friends with my best friend, who is now my husband, Adam, for several years. And he basically was like, you know what? It's time to come home and uh, make this happen. He coerced me into coming back to Seattle and we spent the next eight years there. And during that time, it was the first time that I'd ever, you know, lived in suburban America and had anything that even closely resembled disposable income and disposable time or yeah. free time. Call it what you want to call it. And so... <laughs> That really was where I got my start doing, making things with my hands and getting interested in urban farming and gardening and all those things. And that actually led to what I'm currently doing today, just on a much larger scale yeah. and full time here in Tennessee. So what year was that then? What year did you move to Seattle? 2011. 2011. And then you started tinkering around and learning, building your skills. Was Did you start that in 2011? Yeah, I started in, my animal trades business started in 2012, basically. Uh -huh. I was getting interested in it, I think, around 2011. But yeah, I started my business. I, I made my animal trades website and uh, in 2012, and the rest is kind of history. And I grew up, I was always pre-slated as an adult. I now see in retrospect to be a business owner and to, yeah. to do things, mostly because I just was not built to sit in an office and work for someone else. What are some of the things from your childhood that you can recall that looking back now, you think, yep, yep, I can see how that led me to where I am today. Pretty much everything from my childhood led me to where I am today. <laughs> it is, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it's really it funny. A lot of the things that were challenges in young life led me to the strengths that I currently have. And one of those, I mean, is because my parents were missionaries, we grew up on a very small income. So mm -hmm. we didn't have we didn't have the the money to buy the toys that I wanted or, or you know, whatever else, mm -hmm. because getting food on the table was always the biggest priority. And in that, I think there's a really great book called Scarcity that everyone should read. But in mm -hmm. that, it really fostered in me. I don't know my parents also have taught me a ton about work ethic my entire life. But if I ever wanted anything, I had to figure out a way to pay for it starting when I was about five years old. And I actually started my first business. It was called Yum Yum's Bakery and when I was five. And I kept doing that business until I was about 12. And I started other businesses during that time. And I lied about my age and got my first job when I was 13. And, oh my goodness, that's so you know, great. <laughs> basically used, used all of that stuff to, to create the life that I wanted because I knew it was going to be somewhat different than the life that I had been raised with or in. Yeah. And yeah, thankfully able to, because of that, work my way through college. I, I graduated debt-free and have basically operated on the Dave Ramsey's financial yep. principles ever since. Yep, we do too, actually, and have for a long time. And it's probably one of the best decisions we've made in our marriage and our life to go down that track. And there's certainly so much freedom in that. So when you 
grew up traveling a lot, moving a lot. With that comes the skills of building relationships and building community all over the place, everywhere you go. Absolutely. Do you feel like those skills have played a part in what you do today? Not just a part, I think a whole. Mm -hmm. Because we grew up in such a close-knit community, I went from my parents' house to university and then from university to seminary. And so in 2010, when I moved, or 2010, 11, when I moved back to um, Seattle, it was the first time in my life that I was living outside of an intentional community. Mm. And I found that to be extremely difficult because it just felt mm-hmm. wrong. It felt, I, I, I think that humans were made to, to live in community with one another. Uh, one of the main reasons that I actually wanted to get out of Seattle for the longest time was because it is a much more cold weather culture. It's not the kind mm-hmm. of place that you just stop and talk to your neighbors or whatever else. But even in that, I was able to just push past that cold weather culture a little bit. And I did find a really incredible closely knit community of people during our time in Seattle that I will forever be grateful for. But it really is since I was a kid, anything that I've been interested in is actually, it's not really that I'm interested in that thing. It's that I'm interested in the person that is behind that thing. Mm. So when I was a kid, my grandpa was a woodworker and, you know, a, a gardener and, and a general just life tinker. He could fix anything that was broken. I loved being in his shop and working alongside him. And that's definitely has influenced the fact that I am a furniture builder today. But it was more that I just wanted to spend time with him. My grandpa was fully himself when we were in the wood shop. He was a pretty quiet, shy guy, but when we were alone, he was, he'd tease and he'd joke and he was who he was created to be when he was out there. And I, I glommed onto that in an early age and realized that everyone is who they truly are when they're doing something that they really love. And I do lots of other things now. Gardening came from wanting to to get closer to my dad. My sister was super into gardening. I wanted to get closer to her. The animals, my mom and I, she facilitated me starting my rabbit raising business when I was 12 years old. And even though we couldn't have livestock or other things like that, a family dog or anything, because we traveled so much, she always found a way to facilitate those kinds of things. And now my whole farm is the person that I share it with the most is my mom. She's involved in every detail and I'm starting raising beef cattle soon. I'm doing a a dairy herd share, but I wouldn't be doing those things by myself. I'm doing them with someone who already knows about it, who's happy to teach me about it, who can help facilitate it, make sure that it happens, that kind of thing. So basically everything is that I do is the result of someone else who's taken the time and interest in me to invest and teach me about it. But my interest in this subject is greatly influenced by their presence in my life. So I've also abandoned a lot of potential hobbies as well along the way. I love that you bring this up, though, because it's a really, I think it's a, a really beautiful thing to think about. And I think a lot of times when people imagine getting into whether it be homesteading or even just farming, I think a lot of times people associate life in the country with solitude and isolation. Mm-hmm. And versus community. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing that you point out everything you do, you're doing with community and in relationships. It's not isolated. You're not yes. alone. Absolutely. People ask me all the time, like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't. 
I do it in a community of people that are, yes, maybe I'm doing the day-to-day work by myself Mm -hmm. on occasion, but generally speaking, I couldn't have a dairy cow and be involved in a herd share if I had to run the program because there aren't enough hours in the day to do all of the 18 different small businesses that I currently run. It's definitely all about people. And the other thing too, is that farming, especially, I will actually, I will just say too, that I actually initially took on woodworking, took on the challenge of, of exposing the myth that woodworking is meant to be what white guys do alone to escape from life. It's not, (laughs) there's no way really to, and I I do think actually genuinely with any craft with like mentorship is the way that we, we grow beyond our own innate abilities and talents, whether it be homesteading or, or woodworking or blacksmithing or anything else. Not that you can't learn how to do it by yourself because people obviously certainly do. But the product that you can create, I think, gets so much better when there's other people involved. Can you explain a little bit about where you are today? Because you have 180 plus thousand followers now on Instagram, and you've now moved to a farm in Nashville, and, and that's growing. So your business is growing. And I would venture to say that, correct me if I'm wrong, but would you attribute a lot of this truly fast growth, because we're talking about like a period of 10. Yeah, that's fast. So would you attribute that to the fact that you are so open and willing to learn from others and not try to do everything on your your own? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can point to building furniture is Mm -hmm. a great example. I got started, I built two extremely complex projects were my first two woodworking projects. And they were, yeah, I did build them, but I was guided by my brother-in-law who gave me the right resources to use, allowed me to use his space, let me, let me use his tools, showed me how to sharpen all those things. Like, and, and those two projects are where I started my Instagram and my website. And then after him, there was my friend, Frank, who's now 99 years old, who still spends eight, eight hours a day in his wood shop. Oh, I love that. We spent every Tuesday together in his shop for like three years. And he taught me everything. Like he taught me how to turn on the lathe. He taught me plumbing. He taught me how to prune tomatoes and raspberries, like all these things. And by the way, I am a voracious reader. I love reading. I read probably 300 books on gardening and woodworking that first year that I was even doing it back in 2011, that. 2012. But also I have certain le- learning disabilities and I learn way better when mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to be be shown or to, to see how someone else do, does something and to yeah. see their process. I was able to progress because of the and, and pr- progress and progress quickly because of the input of other people. Wow. You know, if someone were to go and start following you today, which, by the way, I strongly encourage you, if you don't follow Anne of All Trades, you should follow her. But if someone were to go and just look at your life right now, like on your, you know, Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, they might think to themselves like, oh, this just has happened overnight or like she's been doing this her whole life. And they don't see the reading and the time with mentors and relationships, everything that really happens all along the way and behind the scenes, the hard work, the challenges you have to overcome. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you've faced as you've started this and grown this? Yeah, totally. I actually always find it just so amusing and sad when people are just like, oh, must be nice or things like that. 
when really they genuinely just have no idea. But I struggle with anxiety and depression in a huge way. I have like pretty extreme ADHD. And so I'm dyslexic. Like all of these things are actually things that I actually figured out as an adult. My parents were incredibly involved in my young life and my childhood, and they basically taught me all kinds of workarounds. So I didn't know or acknowledge that these were things until, again, until my adult life. And so it was a pretty dang huge wake up call in 2012 when I decided to quit my job and become a furniture maker. And all of a sudden the weight of that and the, the, the accruing amount of disappointment in not making deadlines or not building things to people's specifications or like whatever it was, got me to the point that I literally couldn't get out of bed um, in the morning. And that just compounded it. A little bit of disappointment in myself immobilized me for the next day. And then it immobilized me even worse for the next day. And on it went until I had to literally give up on what I thought was my dream at the time and go back to a job that I hated. And yeah, that sucked for sure. And it also took me a long time, not just with that, but to realize that I needed even though I'm not made to sit in an office and be someone else's employee, I also needed like strict structure and mm. regimen in my day or I couldn't function. Mm. And a failure like that sucks for sure, but also learning how to deal with it is. And so uh, I have a friend that uh, always says that this is the Ulysses contract in the Odyssey. He straps himself to the mast of the ship and he has to move forward. Mm. And so I learned pretty early on that was the way that I had to do things. I had to create some kind of structure in my life that would force me to continue moving forward, whether I felt like it or not. And mm. for me, accidentally, it turns out, that was having livestock. And basically, because I care about animals so much, I got enough animals that relied on me that if I did lay in bed all day crying or whatever else that they would suffer negatively and so adding that like adding that into my life forced me at the very least to get out of bed and to go take care of them and make sure that their basic needs were met after that that was a small win and i usually could do something productive after that and then that made me feel good it's really funny everyone's like why would you get a milk cow but it was really because I had to have something that I had to do at a specific time every single day. Mm. And as a furniture maker, to have a milk cow doesn't really make a whole lot of sense if you're talking about the profits or the time spending or whatever else. But it's also the thing that gets me to my office mm. by 9 a.m. having already accomplished something that feels important yeah. and then gets me on about my day. I could do something productive after that. Anyway, all that to say that basically I found out that I had to strap myself to the mast of a ship to yeah. make sure that, that the whole thing could continue moving forward, which was also really great for a season, but it also introduced so much work and responsibility into my life that I then suddenly didn't know how to operate without it. Basically, as I was building my business, I've been working 14 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week for the last eight years. At, at many times I was working three jobs um, just to make ends meet or to, to do whatever it took to get to the next thing. And it worked for a season, but at what cost? And, mm -hmm. and, and I will say too that like now, I hear a lot from people, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And I also think that's BS because <laughs> I was doing all things that I quote unquote loved and it was taking up all my time, but it still felt like work.
Mm-hmm. Now, at the young, bright age of 31, <laughs> I'm finally figuring out better methods of managing my time and, and learning how to say no and set boundaries mm-hmm. and also realizing when is when enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Also being able to prioritize actual money-making ventures as opposed to things that like seem like they might be a good idea and things like that. And also asking for help, hiring employees, taking that risk. And now I only work 12 hours a day and it's amazing. And sometimes <laughs> I even take Saturdays off at least half the day. I think for anyone who starts a business, it's always more work than what you originally expected it to be, particularly when it's agriculture related and livestock related. You've got living, breathing animals that depend on you every single day. I actually had tears when you were talking, as you talk about this, particularly as you talk about animals and the fact that the responsibility of caring for them really helped bring a lot of healing and discipline and structure and routine, everything you needed, have needed, continue to need for your healing process, because that's something that has always been very near and dear to my heart. And because I think a lot of your story is also this like intersection of this crisis of purpose where you're figuring out, I don't want to work in an office every day. I'm not feeling fulfilled. What do I do? And I think so often that caring for something else really helps take us outside of ourselves. Absolutely. And helps us heal and move forward. It straps us to the front of that ship. Yes. (laughs) Which is a beautiful analogy. I really love that. Speaking of animals, for those who don't know, can you share a little bit about the animals that you have Particularly Howdy and Bella, because I am personally a fan (laughs) of those two. (laughs) Howdy and Bella, my donkeys, my miniature donkeys. They are the absolute love of my life. Howdy is the first, he's the first horse-like creature I have ever deeply known. Yeah. And he has changed my life so much. He's taught me so much Mm. about the importance of consistency. Mm. Consistency is always something that I struggle with. That's why I do the goats and everything else. But specifically with him, it was, I needed to train him to do something in particular. First of all, they also act as thought guardians. They chase off all kinds of predators all the time. But they also have the ability to pull. I've been training them to drive carts and small farm implements and things like that. And then they need to be worked on a regular basis because they're extremely smart animals. Mm And they need me to do my job as much as I need them to do theirs. Actually, way more than I need them to do theirs. They're so smart and so intuitive. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, they're the literal, like, Bella is so cute that even just thinking about her a lot of times, I genuinely just miss her. They're amazing. I love them so much. They're very cute. I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So can you share a little bit about where you are today and what your vision is? Like, when you look down the road and around the corner? So right now we just moved to Tennessee and basically wanted to pursue farming at a larger scale, wanted to get to, you know, a, a, a place where it was easier to do all of the things that I wanted to. And mm-hmm. land value here was our, our money from our place in Seattle, which we bought as a dump and totally changed and were able to sell it for a profit, bought us a lot more land here, more opportunity. So anyway, we're, we're starting over with the farm here, but... Also, I am currently building a 
building that someday I hope will house a basically a school of sorts, whether it be filming my videos that I do all the time for YouTube or offering classes. It's going to have a mechanic shop, a metal shop. It'll have classrooms upstairs. It'll have a woodworking shop with machines and then a handful woodworking shop as well. It'll have a giant outdoor kitchen where we can have community dinners and things like that. And so that's what my main focus is going to be for the next week like however long it takes to get that kind of rolling. But long-term, I want to transform this property, create a working farm that works for me and works for my community just as much as I work for it. Mm. Um, we're doing a lot of permaculture design and basically trying to build up the infrastructure here. Ultimately, I want to have someone else manage that part of the business so that I can do the enjoyable parts and also yeah. just continue to be an entrepreneur because one of the things that helps me get out of like ruts and stuff is just thinking of dreaming about what's next mm -hmm. and always trying to be innovative in that way and so being involved in every business that I run is important but having people that can show up and do some of the legwork is really important. Ideally long term I'm going to shift away from making just free content for social media to doing a lot more paywall content that's a lot more in depth because as I've come to find doing this stuff there is the general public's attention span is only so great but there are truly people there that actually want to learn uh -huh. and i can't teach someone how to make a windsor chair in 12 minutes i can teach someone how to make a windsor chair in about 12 hours but uh -huh. no one's going to watch a 12 hour long youtube video so um part of the long-term business plan is to create an online school of sorts where also I can use my audience and my influence and my platform that I have to help other people besides just me make income. One of the other guys that's working with me right now, his name's Josh, he has all kinds of talents that he would like to have the opportunity to teach. And so this will provide him and a whole lot of my other friends around the country and the world, a place where, where they can show their expertise and share their expertise with people who truly want to learn it. I love that. And then as soon as I have a little bit more freedom from the day-to-day -day of the digital side of things, uh -huh. I my long-term goal is to really invest in and create a living history museum that will teach basically homesteading building all the things that I all the things that I do right now except just do them in the right setting one of the places that I spent a lot of time as a kid was called the heritage place it was a living history farm and I absolutely like so many of the things that I'm interested in today are a result of that and I think places like that are few and far between and it's for me it was genuinely life-changing to have that opportunity so I'd like to be able to have provide that for other kids as well I love that that's so that's amazing. If you could change anything from the past eight years in growing your business, what would it be? I really, I try to live with no regrets, but mm -hmm. one, one constant thing that really haunts me is I wish I was a better boss in the past. As I've learned more about myself and how I operate, I wish that I had been able to give and request grace a whole lot more freely. Mm -hmm. And one one book that I really love right now is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. So good. And having read that, I can see a lot of things that I've done poorly in the past and wish I could change. So that, that's probably it. That's so good. Why do you think people often quit or fail trying to do what you do? I'll be honest and tell you that if I had known... <laughs> 
eight years ago what I was getting myself into. Eight years ago, I didn't have the capacity to do the amount of or level of work that I currently do. It's been really funny because I've, I said that I've worked long hours. A lot of those hours were, were very poorly spent, as it turns out, and they're spent in, in various pursuits of various kinds of futility. And so had I known back then this, I would have said I absolutely could not do that. And I probably never would have tried. And so I do think a lot of people get into, especially a lot of people, you know, quit their job to to pursue their, their hobbies or whatever, mm-hmm. as they're just like, well, basically ascribing to the do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think a lot of people get into it and realize that it's way harder than they thought. Mm-hmm. And that's really unfortunate. A lot of entrepreneurial people really suck at the things that you need to do to run a business. I literally quit my job in tech so that I didn't have to sit at a computer. Guess what I spend about eight to 10 hours a day doing after I quit my job in tech so I didn't have to sit at a computer. Running my business requires 40 to 60 hours of time of my own time a week sitting in front of a computer screen. And like, that sucks. But it also is like, it's the only way that I can make my business run. Granted, I want mm-hmm. to grow my business to the point that I can pay other people to do that, but it's not there yet. And so it just is what it is. It is. It's true. What practices would you say have moved you towards success? Um, my friend Josh Nava, who now works with me full time, introduced me to scrum analysis. If you ever see me in my office, in my stories or anything on Instagram, you'll see like this and like a a whole wall of whiteboards and post-it notes and things like that. And it's basically a, a way to keep track of everything that everyone in our little organization is doing all the time and to move those, move the important goals forward. It's mm-hmm. the only way that I'm able to manage so many de- different facets of the business. And so I would say that's the technique that has really given me a lot of hope about moving forward in this stage of life because I know I've seen how it works. Yeah, I've never heard of that. So I'm definitely going to have to read that and look into that. That sounds really great. What do you think motivates you to keep going and keep pursuing the dream, even though there are things that are different than what you expected and things you still have to do that you don't enjoy doing? A lot of times it's because I'm either too afraid to let people down Mm -hmm. or too stubborn to quit. Yeah. (laughs) But what really motivates me is is hope. I have hope that things can be different. Like any failure, instead of looking at it as a failure, it's an iteration or an attempt. And how can I take that and make it a learning experience? How can I make it better? Because like, as someone who has the ability to see the grand scheme of things a lot better than other people I've come to find, I, I see every single detail of things that need to happen to get from point A to point B, which is a huge, asset but also a huge not asset whatever the opposite of that is because it also like it it provides me with so many tasks that it's actually crippling and the thing is that i know in theory at least i know everything that i need to do to make a like a very successful youtube channel and to grow my views and my audience and i know exactly what it takes to grow on Instagram and, and TikTok and I know exactly what it means to to be successful with your merchandise sales and to have a good website and to grow my email list and like all those things that, that are all big parts of my current business strategy. I know them, but they also there's just not enough hours in the day to make all of those things happen. Mm-hmm. And so it can be overwhelming and crippling. 
but I also know that I can't improve everything all at once because it's just not possible. There's too many moving pieces. But if I can make each one better than the last one, or at least try something differently, even if it might fail towards a common goal and always be just watching that moving goal, making sure that the steps that we're taking and the opportunity cost of the time that we're spending is working towards that goal in the long term is the only way to, to, to do it and not go crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about where you are now and you think back starting in Seattle and even your time in tech and and then the transition to this work and all the anxiety and the fear and the depression that came with it. How do you feel now? Do you feel proud? Do you feel excited? Um, it's really funny. Rachel Hollis, who wrote a couple pretty good like self-help mm-hmm. books that I mm-hmm. enjoy, she always says, don't compare yourself to someone else's middle um, or someone else's. And I, it's really funny because I think some people look at my Instagram or anything and they see this as the end. I see it as my middle yeah. and I feel, I constantly feel pretty overwhelmed. I've taken on a pretty enormous thing here and it was a, a ballsy move and hopefully not a dumb one. <laughs> But I, I have a lot more hope right now than I have in a lot in a long time. I feel better and more excited about what I'm doing. I feel like the direction that I'm heading feels a lot more fulfilling and important than it has in a really long time. And I am I'm really thankful for that. I, I, I still struggle greatly with anxiety and depression. Even getting up to milk my cow, it's the only that provides necessary accountability. But is it fun? Is it wonderful every single day? Absolutely not. People used to think like when I ran an organization for therapeutic writing and you've got 30 something horses that you're taking care of and you have a team of people helping you. But from the outside, it would look like, oh, those lots are just clean of manure and the stalls are all clean of manure and that's just how it stays. And you're like, nope, we spend hours and hours like cleaning the manure and it's And it's constant. It will never change. Like your cow will always need to be milked. That will never change. And some days are going to be better and easier than others. But there is the constant that your cow will be there and will need you. And I will say that anyone who's like looking at my super glamorous lifestyle right now and feeling super envious is that right after this, I need to spend three hours cleaning up poo-poo. So just sleep sleep tonight on your nice clean pillow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after you've had time to freshly shower and just think about that. <laughs> Something I would love to end with is if you were to give a piece of advice to our listeners who are either leaders at companies who are making an impact or someone who's looking to create or build an organization all around this idea of serving, creating value for other people, knowing what you know now, what would that advice be? Oh man, that's a great question. (laughs) Honestly, the biggest piece of advice that I can give basically anyone is to take stock of what it is that you're doing, what needs you are you're meeting within your community like always be on the lookout for other needs that you can be meeting for sure. But as you look even at your own life to think about there well to basically just have a constant mindset of giving and receiving grace, having an attitude of, of, of gratitude and gratefulness, continually be looking outside of yourself. And it also, for me, my, mindfully being mindful about being grateful allows me to overcome a lot of the just 
like dumb stuff that gets mm-hmm. me down. Certainly being grateful is certainly not a cure for the clinical issue of depression by any means, mm-hmm. but it really does help to refocus our minds. There's a reason that like gratitude and grace are, are so closely linked. Yes, that's so good and so true. I love it. And thank you so much. You are an inspiration and what you're doing really matters. It's making a difference. And I hope you know that and see that. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. That's Anne Briggs, The Anne of All Trades. I absolutely loved getting to speak with her and I love what she's doing. If you want to follow Anne and learn more about what she's doing and learn how to do the things she does, you can follow her on all channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Anne of All Trades, that's Anne with an E, and you can also visit her website at anneofalltrades.com. If you want to hear more stories of incredible people, organizations, and impact, you can hear all of our past interviews at evergreenresults.com slash builtforimpact or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Evergreen Results, a full-service marketing agency that helps purpose-driven organizations scale and sustain impact. You can find us on the web at evergreenresults.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you feel inspired and don't forget you can make an impact. I'll see you right back here next week.